mindfulness mode. No amount of time is too small to incorporate mindfulness. Hey, Mindful Tribe, welcome to the show. I'm here today with an athlete, and she uses mindfulness and meditation in all the coaching that she does, and her business is called Ready, Set, Mindful. What a great name for a for an athletic coach. And let me just read a little bit about her bio. She has this coaching business where she trains top national and international professional athletes. She has first-hand experience after enjoying a decade-long career as a professional volleyball player who developed skills to successfully manage sports-related stressors. She navigated multiple challenges herself, including health issues and surgeries that forced her to develop powerful strategies to enhance her athletic performance and supercharge her well-being. And through her business, Ready, Set, Mindful, she's able to offer an effective and solution-based approach to many of the barriers that individuals face, including injury, performance anxiety, confidence, and overall stress. I'm here today with Carrie Bishke. I'm so excited to talk to you, Carrie. Are you in mindfulness mode today? I'm in it. I'm ready to go. That's (laughs) awesome. Yeah. So, so Carrie, what does mindfulness mean to you? Mindfulness to me means, you know, it's, it's really just this intentional awareness of what's happening with, you know, with my body and my mind and my external environment, you know, and for me, it's really just all about slowing down and intentionality throughout my day. And I know you've been a a professional athlete. You've been a a volleyball expert, volleyball player. Tell us how you use mindfulness as part of that experience in your life. Yeah, absolutely. So it was actually when I was playing, I was playing professionally overseas that I first started my mindfulness routine because I was, I was one of those players. I was one of those people who was really scattered and reactive and just kind of let things happen. And, and I reacted, um, you know, to my, to my environment. And I wanted to find a way to get, have a little bit more control over, you know, um, over my play and my mind in stressful, high pressure situations on the court. And so it was when I was playing over in the Canary islands, actually, that I started to look into meditation a little bit. And I started to, use meditation and breath work and visualization as tools to really calm my mind prior to practices prior to games and it really has you know it really transformed my game and my my mental my mental game especially um and it really changed the way that i interact with the world and the type of player that i was i was able to you know have a little bit more composure and mental clarity and this mindful attention to what I was doing. And so it was really a, a critical time in my life. I'm so glad that I that I found it when I did during my athletic career. And it's now something I, you know, incorporate into my my life today and the athlete and the person that I am today. As so well. fascinating. And I'd like you to expand, if you would, on the visualization part of this. This is fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was doing visualization prior to even getting my my master's in sports psychology. So before it was, I I knew I was really going to be doing this as a career. I was doing this as an athlete because I found it so helpful. So 
prior to a game or I would do this before practices as well because I wanted to just really take the reins and um, you know, be in control of some of my thoughts and, and um, you know, things that are happening throughout the game. And so prior to practice, I would find a, you know, a quiet corner. I'd put on my headphones and have some binaural frequencies playing that would calm my mind. And I would close my eyes and put myself in practice and see, you know, what my body looks like in practice going through these, you know, going through the warmups and going through different drills and stretches. And I imagined how my body would feel and what, you know, what would, what, what I would be thinking in those moments. And so it really helped me put my body ahead of the experience so that I felt like I'd been there before. And so that I had that, those mental repetitions, those mental reps prior to practice. So I felt like I, I really had an edge over, you know, anybody who wasn't doing visualization, I'd already kind of been there and seen the things that I wanted to do successfully and how it would look for me and how it would feel. And so, yeah, the visualization piece is, is something that really helped me as an athlete. And now as a professional who works with athletes, we use visualization and they just, you know, they think it's the coolest thing because they are able to put their body ahead of the experience, which is pretty cool. Right. So you teach it to athletes. Was there someone that taught it to you or are you self-taught? Yeah, no. So I, I did some visualization training in my sports psychology and my, my master's is in sports psychology. And so, um, I, I did some extensive training in visualization and, uh, meditation as, as well. So meditation, I'm more self-taught, but, um, yeah, the visualization was a part of my, of my program, my master's program. And I've just practiced it and, um, you know, add, add different tools as I learn them and incorporate mm -hmm. them into the work that I do. So Carrie, I'm curious, did this affect how happy and content you felt in life in general as, as well as improve your, your performance? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, when you have a mindfulness practice, when I, when I started meditating and visualizing, uh, you know, when I was playing overseas, it absolutely seeped into every aspect of my life. You know, I found that not only on the court was I more composed and had more space between me and my thoughts and my reactions, but that also spilled over into my conversations I have with my family and relationships that I, that I'm engaged in and everything seemed to, to just slow down in the best possible way. So instead of having life and external events happen to you, right? Like you were having um, a little bit more space between you and your reactions, um, you know, to your environment, which which I thought was really cool. So I I feel like such a different person today than you know who who I was just even a few years ago because things just are more, you know, things, things are more slow. I'm, I'm more appreciative of the little micro moments that happen throughout the day rather than just being scattered and letting the day kind of happen to you. Carrie, that makes sense. I, I, yeah, it does make sense. I know you work with athletes. Now you help quite a few athletes. What are some of the sports that they do? Are there, are they just across the board or are they specific? That's interesting yeah. to me. Yeah, I do work with a lot of athletes, um, college athletes, high school athletes. I work at Gonzaga University. 
over here. So if you're a basketball fan, big, uh, big Gonzaga fans over here in Spokane, Washington. So um, basketball, um, you know, rowing, tennis, golf. So it really extends from team sports to individual sports, um, you know, so it's across the board, all the sports. And where do you start if somebody approaches you and they're saying, hey, Carrie, I, I really want to learn some of these techniques. What do you do? What's some of the what are some of the first steps? Yeah. So if someone comes to see me, they either want to I have to figure out, first of all, what kind of hat I'm wearing. So I'm a psycho a licensed psychotherapist and I'm also a mental performance coach and life coach. So to figure out if there's underlying you know, mental health that we need to talk about. So it's kind of dependent upon why that person is wanting to see me or if they're wanting a more action-based, um, you know, solution-focused approach to what whatever their issue is. So the, I've, I've found that there there's often, you know, mental health is underlying a lot of issues that lots of people have. So sometimes someone will come in and say, oh, I just like, you know, keep blowing like game point. Like, why do I keep doing that? I know this is just performance based. And then we find out there's like some extensive trauma that we need to work through. So right. I like to have my therapy hat on. You know, I have a, I have that on most of the time. Um, but so someone will come to me, I'll get a, you know, in our first session together, we'll do a holistic assessment of where they're at. So I like to get a lot of context for, figuring out what, you know, what that person is coming to me for. What, what does their sleep look like? What does their nutrition look like? Their hydration levels, their, um, you know, their thoughts, their, their history of trauma, you know? Um, so I do kind of an audit of what, what is happening in their, in their lives and then get a sense from them what, what their goals are, where, you know, what, where can I offer support? And from there we figure out, a game plan. They usually give a few examples of, Hey, I really don't like the way that I'm re like reacting to when my coach says this, or my partner says that. Um, and I'd really like to be more patient and like, and, you know, improve my, my shot, something like that. So it's kind of a combination of mental health and then performance-based uh, activities as well. I'm interested in uh, delving into habits and routines. And uh, I imagine sometimes uh, you learn that there are some habits or routines that some of your clients have that maybe make your hair stand on end and you're thinking, oh my goodness. Or, yes. you know, of course <laughs> we have the positive ones that we want to implement. So tell us what you do when it comes to these, these habits and routines first that are negative and then when people need to implement some positive ones. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And that's, that's always why I start with the, you know, I like to call it the audit. I'm getting an idea of what this person's daily routine looks like, what their nightly routine looks like. Do they have a meditation or a mindfulness practice? If not, like, I always start there, <laughs> you know, no matter what the issue is, breath work is, is the prescription for so many things. And so um, you know, with, with the routine, I kind of go through the audit throughout their day and ask them questions about, you know, certain things that I'm seeing happening, you know, okay, your goals are mentioning X, Y, Z and throughout the day, um, you know, these things are happening. So I'm really just trying to build awareness so that, especially when my therapy hat is on, I'm not just giving answers to people. That's mm -hmm. not, you know, I'm, it's my, that's my coaching hat. And so with therapy, I'm really trying to get someone to 
come to that on their own to rec- like, of course, I see the patterns. I'm a neutral third party perspective, but the goal is for them to see the patterns of where the, where there's this discrepancy, where there's gaps in their day between who, who they're being and who they want to be. Right. So Mm -hmm. I'm pointing, I'm pointing out some of these things that are coming up that I'm seeing in their, in their routines and habits. So it's outlining maybe the ones that don't make sense or the ones that are pretty detrimental to them and getting them to understand, um, you know, why, why they are that way. And then the other, the flip side of that would be to then incorporate and replace, you know, um, positive aspects that they can add to their routine. So that would be like their breathwork practice or a really accessible short meditation to, so that they can dip their toes. Um, so yeah, we work on, okay, what can we, what can we kind of decrease? What can we minimize? What's, you know, what, what, what do we want to kind of get rid of a little bit? And then what do we want to add instead? And I really am mindful to do these things really slow um, because we don't want to overwhelm our clients and the people that we're working with by giving them something too, you know, too big of a bite. Um, we want to really make things accessible and set, set reasonable goals so that they'll actually want to sustain their mindfulness practice. Right. <laughs> sure. How important yeah. is it for them to have someone who is like so behind them, like whether they're parents or, or sisters, brothers, partners, is that an important piece of this puzzle? Oh my goodness. Yes, absolutely. The level of social support is, you know, it's, it's everything. It's, it's so important. Um, you know, and especially today in our, in our culture today, we're so, we're so isolated. We're so lonely. Mm -hmm. We, you know, we're craving connection. We're craving support. So absolutely. It's important to have, you know, a therapist behind you, a coach, you know, who's on your team, uh, a partner, a a best friend, a, a dog, you know, someone yeah. that's in your corner, mm-hmm. um, especially if you're trying to facilitate change and you're trying to work on, you know, some patterns that have maybe been weighing you down and keeping you stuck. It's so helpful to have someone to, you know, have that accountability to and to be in your corner when you're working through some some hard changes and, and things like that. And do you sometimes discover that they've had traumas? in the past, maybe in their childhood that maybe they didn't even realize at first. And then you realize, hey, this is what's holding you back. Have you had that experience? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, in the holistic assessment that I do with clients, we go over, you know, what trauma looks like. There's little T traumas, big T traumas, um, you know, the the little T trauma, like emotional trauma, sexual trauma, physical trauma. So, Often I don't get too many questions about the physical and the sexual trauma. Those ones, you know, are easier for people to see um, if they've had any of those in their experience. But the emotional trauma is one that I get a ton because Mm -hmm. partners, parents, coaches, you know, the people in our lives that sometimes love us the most can can unintentionally traumatize us with comments and and, uh, you know, bullying, I know you don't do a lot of work with bullying. Yes. There's oftentimes comments and you'll never believe, you know, just the one comment that came out of a fifth graders mouth, you know, so long ago. And, and, you know, 
our body is still holding on to some of that trauma. And that's why we respond in a certain way sometimes, because, you know, we remember these isolated events of these, you know, emotional traumas that, that happened to us. And so, yeah, I absolutely love to start there in the assessment to figure out what I'm going to be working with, what's kind of at play behind the scenes, because trauma, especially emotional trauma, physical trauma, sexual trauma, that will come up in, in so many of your different interactions, right? So if you're someone, you know, if anyone listening out there, maybe you can relate to this or Bruce, maybe you can as well, where, you know, something happens to you, someone says something to you or does something to you and you find yourself having a reaction that doesn't necessarily match up with what was done to you. Mm -hmm. And so that is an example of, of something coming up. Someone struck a nerve with something that did not sit right with you. And so that's an example of where there is some trauma that maybe needs to be processed. There's some stuck emotion that, you know, that's needing space to be processed. Otherwise, our, our response to the action might be a little bit more balanced. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does make sense. Yeah, Carrie, I just love the name of your website and the name of your business, Ready, Set, Mindful. Oh, okay. com. Yeah, that's that's such <laughs> Thanks, a, such a great name and so easy to remember and and so meaningful because you work mostly with athletes. Can you share <laughs> with us a story about one of your clients? Maybe it it has to remain confidential. I don't know because I know the work I do with clients. Much of it is confidential. But is there sure. a story you can share with us about a client where you've really been able to make some important transitions in their life? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, there, there has been, um, there's been a client, uh, there's been a client I worked with in the past who came to me for, for one thing, this often happens, Hey, I'm just here to figure out my, you know, my tennis game. It's been off lately. I'm not sure what's happening, where to pinpoint it. And so it seems like it's just performance, right? Um, I'm not really enjoying my sport anymore. So there's a few kind of layers here. And then, we get to working together and find out that, you know, this person is very nonchalant about the the dynamic of, of their family. Right. Mm-hmm. But it came out that this person had some, had some really, you know, tremendous emotional uh, trauma that they were carrying around comments that the parents would make different things like that, that really impacted the, the athlete. Right. Sure. And so once this was all brought to the surface and we did, we did EMDR um, on it. And for your audience that, that maybe hasn't heard that before, it's a type of therapy. It's called eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And so once I learned that that athlete had some trauma, I knew that EMDR would be a really good tool to, to work with. Um, it's good at bringing up kind of subconscious trauma that people aren't necessarily consciously aware of. Mm -hmm. And so we did that therapy with her and she was able to kind of come to some realizations that, were never really clear, never, never really pinpointed before. And just as I said, with those reactions that she was having to people in her life, um, you know, those started to, to diminish. She started to, um, really recognize how disruptive her family dynamic was and how traumatic that was for her. And she was able to really shift that and, and focus on her, you know, her tennis game improved because of that realization. Um, so I think oftentimes what happens is that performance piece and the mental health piece, people think they're, they're, they're so separate. Like the body is so separate from the mind, right? Like, mm-hmm. no. So once we get, you know, get people to, to understand that they're, you know, 
things that are happening in the body and the mind are really inter interconnected. I think some cool work can be, can be done. And that was done with that athlete as well. So she improved her tennis game and also was, you know, had this, had this awareness, this newfound awareness of, um, you know, how, how dysfunctional her, her family be, behavior was and, uh, and what needed to change there. So it was yeah. good. That's very interesting. Carrie, I want to go back and uh, talk to you about your childhood and when you knew that you wanted to immerse your life in sport. Yeah, yeah, that was probably I when I was, I think about eight, I, I started it? doing gymnastics. <laughs> oh, that really? Yeah, it started with, yeah, it started with gymnastics and then slowly mm -hmm. I got, um, or not slowly, but quite quickly I, I grew yeah. for everyone who's not uh, Bruce doesn't even know how tall I am probably but I'm no, but I'm six one okay. <laughs> and so when I was eight I was doing gymnastics and then tr quickly transitioned as I got taller into volleyball and basketball right. and so it wasn't really until I was maybe 14 and started playing you know started playing volleyball in high school um, you know and and I was picking picking things up pretty quickly and people were commenting on, you know, how, what a hard worker I was and how talented I was. And so I was thinking, huh, okay, I could really maybe do something with this sport if I, if I really try, um, mm -hmm. you know, and then the psych, the psychology piece has always been a piece of the puzzle because, and I didn't quite get to figure that out in high school because I didn't have the tools. If I would have sure. had a, you know, good therapist or a good coach, a good meditation teacher, mm -hmm. um, maybe I would have come, come about that a little bit sooner that practice in my life. But yeah, so I think it was about high school when I, when I learned that I wanted to have sport and I knew that psychology was interesting to me. I didn't quite at that point know how to combine the two until I was in my, um, my graduate program. Right. When, when you think back, what was your biggest glitch or your most challenging, uh, experience moving on that path to become a professional athlete? Yeah. What was the biggest, what was the biggest barrier maybe? What, where, yes. Where was the yes, most challenge? Barrier. Yeah. Challenge. Yeah. Probably the biggest barrier was, uh, you know, getting an, like having an agent, having someone that you can depend on who knows this whole, this, this arena of professional sports and teams and yeah. coaches and whether or not teams are going to pay you or not pay you and mm -hmm. which countries were, you know, the better one, the better leagues and things like that. So I think that was a challenge for me getting, getting an agent and finding an agent that, that worked well with me and that I trusted, um, you know, and then when I got over there, my first country, what my first country I played in was Sweden. And so, yeah, it was just all about kind of integrating into the, you know, the culture and learning to live in a, tiny village and mm -hmm. speak speak the language or at least try to so um that integration piece it was it wasn't so much of a barrier i guess but it was definitely something i had to be mindful about as i transitioned from team to team to team to team <laughs> and so now how do you like to communicate with your with your followers and your would-be followers is it through writing is it through videos how do you communicate your messages mostly yeah, that's a great question. And I'm, I'm definitely open for feedback, how people would like to be communicated with, sure. because, um, we often have different ideas of, of what works for, 
for the people that are interested in our message. Um, but right now I'm, I'm using Instagram. I, I find that, you know, with my podcast is such an amazing vessel for getting my message across and mm-hmm. um, letting clients know what they can expect from working with me. And so I think podcasting is really like, isn't it so great, Bruce, it to is. get, you know, it's just such an amazing tool that we have, it you know, really so is. And I think we talked about this on on my podcast episode. If anyone exactly. hasn't listened to that one with Bruce, it was it was great. It was. And, it was um, a lot of fun. And we did an Instagram live as well. It was great. And yeah. yeah, and that's what I was getting to our Instagram live. I think that's that can be another cool tool to use to communicate your message. But we were both talking about how challenging it is being, you know, having a mindful practice and being so intentional about our time with our family and nature and uh, and just how counterproductive it can sometimes seem to be on your phone. And, you know, even if you're sending a good, you know, or trying to spread a good message, it's just something that I have to work really hard at trying to, to do more because everything in my being is like, no, you know, read, go outside, disconnect. (laughs) So it's a work, it's a, you know, it's a work in progress, but podcasting is definitely such an amazing tool for us both getting our messages out there. Yeah, it definitely is. Definitely is. Tell us about a podcast guest that you had that sticks in your mind that really uh, was powerful for you. Yeah, gosh, I, um, I just did one with, um, Marcus Aurelius Anderson. Yeah. And he, have you heard of him before? I, I, I've had him on my show. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> He's one that sticks out. I just did a podcast with, with him on Friday and he just has, you know, such an interesting, such an interesting story and he has such a strong presence and his message of stoicism is really interesting and unique to me um you know especially since a lot of the work that i do it's about labeling emotions and processing them and so that stoicism was uh you know and i walk the line between integrating both there's a time and a place to kind of for both to coexist but yeah he he was a great guest that's kind of fresh on my mind what did you think about having him on the show oh it was great yeah i met him Mm -hmm. uh, at an event so i met him in person first oh nice! and it was just great to hang out with him and talk to him and get to know him a bit and then i'm like hey you're coming on my podcast (laughs) and it it was just great to meet him yeah absolutely yeah he has a good he has a good story and i think you know, what makes a really good guest and a good authentic conversation is, you know, when a guest is really connected to their message and the work that they do, because that shows, you know, it shows through yeah. and it, it just makes things flow, you know, so it nicely. Definitely so does. It really you were does. also a fantastic guest because it was <laughs> all flow. So <laughs> it was so, you know, it, I was just asking all of my self-serving questions about <laughs> your mindfulness routine and how you incorporate your different habits. And so I, I, yeah, I love, I love. But isn't when that it's a great thing about podcasts? We can ask anything we want. We can ask it's, anything that, that does serve us, but it also serves our, our listeners as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, yeah, I'm definitely all about, I'm very interested in learning about other people's habits and routines and their optimization tools, because 
I have a note section in my, you know, in my phone and all the podcasts, all the books that I read, you know, everything that I'm learning from other people goes in like, what tools can I incorporate into my therapy and my coaching practice? So you guys get all the, all the best golden nuggets out of my <laughs> massive note section on my phone. Well, that's great. That's great. Carrie, I want to talk to you about the topic of bullying. As you already mentioned, I've worked in this for a long time. Do you have a story? Maybe it was when you were a child. Maybe it was, maybe it's a, a story about self-bullying or something that happened as a professional athlete. Do you have a story you can share with us where mindfulness would have made a difference? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a couple things that come to mind. Um, I used to get bullied a lot when I was younger Did you? because I was so, you know, I was so tall. I had Coke bottle glasses that were super thick. So it was Coke bottle carry for a really long time. It's funny now because I'm so far removed from it that, it, you know, it's, it's okay. Um, but yeah, there were lots of instances where I was bullied when I was younger and I would have just this knee jerk reaction, right? I mean, so whether it's an emotional, a comment that's, that's mean, or, you know, someone's trying to, to kick you or something like that, we have these knee jerk, you know, quick reactions that we, mm -hmm. that we have that sometimes get us in trouble. Yes. <laughs> right. And so I think to, you know, many of those situations that happened when I was younger, instead of retaliating and, and getting even, right? Like, so if somebody threw something at me, I throw it right back like pretty quickly without leaving, you know, any time or space for me to think about what I was doing or if that might hurt the person or if maybe mm -hmm. I threw something too hard. There's zero percent, um, you know, for, for mindfulness to, to be in play there. And so absolutely, I think if mindfulness was, you know, I know you do a lot of work in, you know, with schools. And I think if that's, yeah. that's more of it's such an amazing platform and mindfulness is such a great topic. And if kids learned how to regulate their emotions, we'd have a lot less bullying. And if mindfulness was something that was practiced as a class and, you mm -hmm. know, um, as a school, like how cool of an impact would that have, you know? Absolutely so, true. Yeah. So yeah. that is my, my childhood bullying. And then of course, you know, as an adult and especially as an athlete, we have bad games, bad practices, injuries happen, you know, breakups and different things. And sure. we, you know, our emotional brain convinces us that it's the worst thing in the mm -hmm. world. And we get, we start to catastrophize and have yeah. all of this negative self-talk. And so, you know, and for a lot of the clients that I work with, that happens so frequently, that negative self-talk and that emotional brain wins a lot of the battle yeah. between emotional brain, rational brain. And so, and that's where a lot of the self-destruction happens. That's where we have, you know, then a poor relationship to food because we're using that as a tool, mm -hmm. you know, um, maybe we're, we're leaning on, on substances and drinking as a tool, like using really, you know, unhealthy mechanisms for, for dealing with some of our stuff. Um, and so, yeah, I think mindfulness, having a mindfulness practice is something I build into the clients that I'm working with right away, because let's, you know, let's start to have some things slow down and make a little bit more sense, um, more sense to us you know, and decrease some of that self-bullying and that negative self-talk 
that's still going to be there a little bit, but what if we made it a little less consistent, a little less intense? And that's always kind of where I start something really accessible. Um, because people feel like they, you know, it's, it's so normalized to beat ourselves up and to be unkind to ourselves. And so, um, once we build in that awareness and people get shocked at how, how, you know, when I, when I do the, the mindfulness audit and the, the daily audit of what's happening in their interactions and what their thoughts are looking like, they're like, oh my gosh, I'm so, I'm so mean to myself. Yeah. I didn't realize I was being so unkind and calling myself so many names throughout the day, you know? And I'm like, yeah, like you put that on paper and you see it and you have this mindful attention now to what's happening and what your internal dialogue looks, looks like. And okay, now we have something to work with, you know, now that we're off autopilot. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever wanted to write a book? I have. Yeah, I, mm -hmm, absolutely. Yeah. I'm doing like a workbook right now for, for athletes on, mm -hmm. you know, the mindful athlete, but, but yeah, I've absolutely wanted to write a book. You know, I think that would be a powerful way to get out to get out my message as well. Yeah. yeah, tell us about the workbook. When is it coming out and is will be available? Yes, absolutely. So um, within by March 1st, it will it will be out, it will be available. So it'll be on my website and I'm working with, um, I think it'll be available on Amazon as well. So I'll, I'll make sure to give you an update so oh, you can, um, so you can update that in the show notes. Yes. But it is a, it's a workbook full of, exercises, different activities that I do with my, you know, with my clients to, you know, to build it, build mindfulness into their routine. So different ways that mindfulness can look, you know, they can get ideas of, of mindful activities that they can do and opportunities to insert mindfulness throughout the day. So it's a, it's an action-based workbook. So mm -hmm. not, not a novel or anything like that. No, but, but it sounds really <laughs> valuable. Yeah, it's really action based. I, I always appreciate that as an athlete and I, yeah. you know, have my own coach and my own therapist and my coach. I'm I love the action oriented, you know, relationship that that we have. And I, I love I love to offer that to the people that I work with. You know, when mm -hmm. you do a session with me, you know, whether you're a therapy client or a coaching client, we're doing activities we're doing exercises outside of our sessions so that we can streamline the growth. We can streamline the progress. So we're not just stagnant after our it sessions. It sounds great. I can't wait to have a look at this. This really sounds excellent. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's something that I wish was accessible to me, you know, sooner in my career. And, um, you know, so I just want to want to put it out there and give people as many valuable, you know, nuggets that they can that they can get so carrie what do you do to stay active these days yes so that was a whole gosh yeah maybe i'll put this a little bit in my book but that's a whole <laughs> a whole thing transitioning from volleyball and playing professionally you know indoor for so many years and mm -hmm. then us not having a professional you know not having a league really over here and so i hung up my, you know, my volleyball shoes for, for a little bit and then transitioned into, um, training for marathons and triathlons. And mm -hmm. so now I do marathons and triathlons and mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to doing a, 
a half Ironman here this year. And Congratulations. Thanks. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited. So it's it's definitely shifted for me, but I I do a lot of, you know, um a lot of running and lately I've been doing a lot of yoga and you know, more mindful movement. Yeah. I um I've been walking backwards lately. Oh, have you? Tell <laughs> us about that. I I don't have yeah. very many of my uh, guests talk about walking backwards. Yes, the walking backwards. I have to, yeah, I'll give a shout out uh, to Ben Patrick. He is the knees over toes guy. Oh. And he's on Instagram for a lot of the cool, you know, athletic movements that he does. But he he's um he's someone with a really interesting story and he's all about knee strength and strengthening your body with body weight exercises and balancing out the muscles we use and he talks a lot about doing you know back backwards walking backwards and backwards like sled pulls so you know how you usually push oh, a sled yes. but but doing it backwards so that we're we're really getting a lot of um using a lot of our muscles that we don't typically use and um, so, yeah, it's a really, it's really interesting. You got to listen to to one of his podcasts or check him out on Instagram. But he's, yeah, he's he's all about the backwards walking and keeping our knees, you know, strong and healthy. And so that's something I've been using in my routine a lot lately. People look at me like I'm crazy. I'm on the treadmill just walking backwards. Okay, so you do it on your <laughs> treadmill usually. You don't, and, you're not out walking down the street backwards. No, I actually did the other day mm-hmm. for probably about a half a mile. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of one of the back, one of our back back roads streets. So there yeah. is not too trafficked and I didn't have headphones. So I was being safe. But yes, yeah. I absolutely have walked backwards in the neighborhood and people really do look at you. Um, I bet they interesting. do. <laughs> and does yeah. it develop, and I'm assuming it does develop different muscles and different uh, sense of balance and things like that? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, Ben Patrick, if those of you who haven't checked him out, he's he's uh, someone who tore his knee up. He had multiple, you know, surgeries. His knees were just were terrible. Um, lots of lots of plaguing injuries with him. And he learned how to rehab his knee. And he, you know, did so much research on his own and figured out that walking backwards and doing backwards sled pulls and different body weight activities were something that like improved the health of his knee so much mm-hmm. so that now he can, um, you know, he can do all of these like outlandish things like his vertical jump is through the roof and he can do all of these impressive knee strengthening, you know, knee strengthening activities like on his, uh, on his Instagram. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, it's for, um, it's for knee strength and stability and then balance coordination, lots of other benefits from walking backwards. But if you think about just doing things that we don't typically do, it's going to feel uncomfortable, but it's probably good for us to move some of those muscles that we, you know, we don't move in that way. Keeps us, keeps, keeps our learning, our learning game strong. Exactly. I bet it's really great for the brain as well. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, that's so fascinating. Well, as we move forward in the interview, Carrie, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. The first one is this. Who sure. is one person who has been a powerful mindfulness influence in your life? Yeah, um, Mike Sacco. He is one of my mentors, a former volleyball coach of mine. He was someone who first introduced meditation to me. Um, you know, and, uh, and he was the one who, who 
essentially got me into meditating. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's, a, he's an amazing person. Very, very interesting. Okay, well, let's talk about your emotions. How has mindfulness affected your emotions or how you deal with your emotions? Mm, yeah, absolutely. As I mentioned earlier, I think when you have a mindfulness routine and you start to build that in, you know, and you have this personality that was yours, right? Or that you're starting in Mm -hmm. that you maybe want to change a little bit. Maybe I want to change how I respond to things. I maybe have a a quick, quick fuse and I get angry easily, or I'm really impatient. Mm -hmm. So I think having a mindfulness routine, building in just even a little bit of breath work, a little bit of meditation, um, you know, five minutes a day can kind of work to recondition our neural pathways because we, you know, we're so entrenched in some of these behaviors and these patterns for so long that it takes, you know, a good chunk of time for our mindfulness practice to really seep in and start to, um, you know, rewire some of those pathways so that we can start to react in, in a different way so that we can have more space between our thoughts and our emotional reaction to certain things. So it really helps just slow down. I've seen, I've just noticed so much more space between when someone says something to me that maybe I would have gotten frustrated with like a few years back, or maybe that would have hurt my feelings Mm -hmm. or caused me to do some self-bullying. But, but now I have just, just a microsecond uh, more of space to think about, you know, what's really what's really going on here? Like, is that just my, my 12 year old Carrie that's wounded and needs just like a a little second to breathe or like a little, you know, warm blanket for a second or what do I need here? Like what's, you know, let's let the better version of myself respond. So thank goodness, you know, that space is there because before, you know, and as we all know, many of your listeners know when, Often when we say something, when someone says something to us or does something to us and we respond so quickly, is that ever the best version of ourselves? You know, it rarely, rarely is. So we give ourselves a little bit more time, you know, even separating just one breath, just someone says something that could be, you know, wounding or rude or hurtful or offensive, you know, just, okay, inhale for four. Exhale for eight. And just in those 12 seconds, I allowed my rational brain the chance, the opportunity to turn on, right? Mm -hmm. And my emotional brain, just a little bit of time to kind of calm down a little bit so that the better version of myself can respond. Yeah. So interesting. And and you touched on breath there. That was going to be my next question about breathing. Can you just touch on it very briefly again about how breathing has been a part of your mindfulness practice? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, breath work is, you know, it's this big umbrella. And I think there's, there's so many different, different styles of breath work that are, that are underneath that umbrella. And that was something that was just so accessible to me from the beginning. I'd learned box breathing mm-hmm. and um, and how impactful that that was and how quick it, it you know it didn't take very long to go through my box breathing. And so that's something that that I like to do a lot with my clients as well and something that's really worked for me because it is so digestible. Um, you know, so you're going through that inhale for four, that pause for four, that exhale for four, pause for four, all in and out through your nose you know, and it, it just 
creates um, two minutes of just stability for your nervous system, you know? And so if you use that every day, start to build that in just two minutes, you know, in the morning, every single day, then you will notice your, your reactions start to shift, you know, your energy will, will shift. Yes, it definitely will. Is there a book that you could recommend that could help our listeners with mindfulness? Maybe there's even a book that could help an athlete with mindfulness that you could recommend. But what have you yeah. got in mind? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the most powerful books for me, and maybe you've read it, is The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. Yes. And it is just gold. Michael Singer is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And if if any of your listeners haven't read that book, I I read it paperback. I listened to it audiobook and I read it paperback again and I feel like I'm still getting golden nuggets from it. And so you bet that like in my notes section of my phone there's a lot of, you know, Michael Singer one-liners that are just they just hit you and you want to close your eyes and let that seep in and so yeah, it's it's such a powerful book. So that one's the one that comes to mind for me. It is, Carrie. It's a, a tremendously awesome book. Tell us about an app. Are there any apps that you would recommend that can help? Yeah, I gosh, honestly, I would say any app that that you gravitate toward that has any any meditations on it, you know, that's that's the one where you're gonna feel inclined to actually get in there and give yourself a, you know, a couple minute pause throughout the day, then absolutely. I'm I'm on Insight Timer. If anyone's heard of that, Insight Timer is great. You can go go in there and listen to so many different guided meditations, and it's a beautiful you know resource. It's so you really have great. some guided meditations on there. Is that what you're I telling do. us? I yeah, do. Yeah, I do. Mm -hmm. I think awesome. I have guided meditation for anxiety and uh, meditation for sleep on there. So excellent. Yeah, those are those are some some good ones that I yeah that I really like for sure that's yeah insight timer is tremendous it's excellent it really is well it's been a lot of fun talking to you carrie and and so informative and and really helpful to understand how we can just grab a hold of some of these tools and techniques that you've talked about and become more mindful and and really have a better life have more yeah. more of a level of contentment, feeling of groundedness and overall yeah. happiness. Have you got a, a final word of advice you could give our listeners just before we sign off, Carrie? Yeah, nothing. No amount of time is too small to incorporate mindfulness. It can be something, you know, so, so digestible, you know, that two minutes of breath work in the morning, you know, in between client phone calls, just closing your eyes, you know, having some gratitude for yourself, for your body, for your dogs, for your partner, you know, anything accessible. So mindfulness doesn't have to look like something that takes so much of your time, just, just mindful attention to kind of separate the thoughts through, throughout your day, you know, can definitely have a big impact. So string enough of those together and then you'll start to see some cool things happen. Terrific. Thanks again for being on the show, Carrie. Thank you so much. And if anyone is interested in in finding me on social, I'm at Carrie or I'm at uh, Ready Set Mindful on Instagram and Facebook and readysetmindful.com. So lots of places. I always appreciate reaching out. 
uh, people reaching out through DMs and email carrie at readysetmindful.com. So yeah, I hope you guys got some golden nuggets out of this and continue to listen to Bruce. He knows what he's talking about and mindfulness mode. And I'm just so grateful to have had this opportunity, Bruce. Thank you so much. Me too. Ready, set, mindful. Mind Ready, set, mindful. Yes. Remember <laughs> that. And it's easy to remember too. Ready, set, mindful. Yes. So thanks again, Carrie. All the best to you. Thank you so much, Bruce. Yeah. Take care. Bye now. Mindful Tribe, thanks for listening today. You know, sleeping is such a basic requirement and you can sleep naturally you can sleep comfortably you can fall asleep more easily using the meditation that i've recorded that is just for you mindful tribe it's a guided meditation that will help you get a deep restful sleep the kind of relaxing sleep that you need and deserve and my listeners that have emailed me about this this meditation have been able to fall asleep easily and accomplish more during the day because they feel energized you can rest comfortably and fall asleep easily to get it for free just go to mindfulnessmode.com sleep and that, like I said, is a free download for you, Mindful Tribe. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for sharing. Thanks to you. We have over 3 million downloads on Mindfulness Mode, and that's exciting. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode. <laughs>